You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. All right, so um, thanks for being here. If you're new, this, this is Faith and Family. This is kind of like a standing class that we have every Sunday that has to do with um, kind of just like encur- encouraging, equipping, and thank you so very much. Um, encouraging, equipping, and uh, educating parents on just how to spiritually invest in your child. And uh, I'm, I'm Cameron Cole. I'm the director of Children, Youth, and Family. And um, yeah, just a huge priority for our church is for parents to feel supported and to feel like they're getting every, um, every resource possible in this challenging journey of trying to raise children to love and follow Jesus. So uh, we are starting a new series, and this series is going to last uh, through October into November, maybe even into early December. But it's going to be um, it's going to be about parenting in the Bible, and so it's it's what you if you want to get technical, it's what you call a biblical theology. That's a you can, we can talk about theology that is biblical, but there's a technical term called ooh, careful there, pal. Um, there's a technical term called biblical theology, and what that means is you take a unit of scripture and you are going to focus on one certain thing, one focused thing in that unit, uh, and that's called doing a biblical theology. So this is a nice little thing to, to, to think about in terms of your own Bible reading. You could do what you call a Trinitarian reading of the book of Ephesians, where you're going to read Ephesians, and all you're going to do is just list all the things that um, Ephesians says about the Father, about the Son, about the Holy Spirit. That's what That would be a biblical theology of uh, Ephesians, something focused in a discrete unit of Scripture. So um, you can look at uh, you can look at Peter's letters, First and Second Peter, and you can look at his Christology, his view of Jesus, and just do that. So it's good. it's 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 a it's a technical discipline within uh, theology and Bible reading. And so we're going to do a biblical theology about parenting in the Bible. Now it's not going to be exhaustive. We're not going to cover everything. But we're going to look at, we're going to, the first three weeks, we're going to look at three of the major texts in Scripture that talk about parenting. First will be uh, Genesis 1 and 2, and uh, Deuteronomy 6, that's going to be today. Then uh, next week is going to be Proverbs. We're going to look at every, you know, every verse in the Proverbs that has to do with parenting, and we're going to kind of identify like themes and concepts relative to that. And then finally, in the New Testament, we'll look at what we call the, house, um, the Christian household code. If you read like Ephesians, Ephesians 5, uh, part of Titus, First uh, Peter 2 and 3, Colossians chapter, end of chapter 3, end of chapter 4, it's this thing called the Christian household code, which kind of talks about husbands and wives and parenting and things of that nature. And so um, that'll be the third week. And then we'll kind of go through the Bible and look at... Um, we'll look at different stories that involve parenting um, that are the kind of issues that we, you know, grapple with today, like sibling rivalry. Um, not that anyone's dealt with that, I know. Um, but we'll look at, you know, look at a story about that. We'll look about, you know, um, just trusting the Lord with our children. Look at Isaac and Abraham and that. And so, um, so yeah, this is going to be a good long series, but it'll be biblically rich and it'll be very daily relevant. So, um, so yeah, so that's where we're going. So today we're going to start with looking at Genesis. We're going to look at um, 
Genesis and then a little bit of Deuteronomy. And uh, just kind of the formation, uh, the making of man, the making of the family, and so on and so forth. And this is the big, this is the big takeaway that you're going to see. So what you're going to see is that at the core, at the very essence of God's creation of the family, is that families are made for intimate relationship. Uh, parenting, at the core, is most importantly about cultivating intimate relationship with your child. Uh, I think this is going to be, um, I think this is a really freeing lesson, <clears throat> a really freeing reality and truth that flows out of Scripture, because at the end of the day, what is it that you really want to do as a parent? What you really want to do as a parent is you want to spend time with your child, and you want to connect with your child, you want to know your child. You want a relationship with your child. That's what you really want. And what the Bible is giving you permission on is to say that thing that you really, really want is actually the primary thing that you need to worry about. That's a, you know, that's, that's, that's really, really good news, you know. Um, it's like if you're, a, if you're a, you know, a baseball player and you love to hit home runs and your coach says, don't worry about singles. Swing for the fences every time. That's what we need you to do. Hey, feel a lot of freedom in that, right? Um, so we're hoping, I'm hoping you'll feel some freedom in this. All right, so first, you have your, if you, if you, again, if you don't have your worksheet, we have more over there. But we're going to first start out at, in Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then we're going to go down to Genesis 2, 5 through 7, and 18 through 24. And the thing I want you to notice is in Genesis, when it's talking about the creation of man, and it's talking about the creation of the family, like husband and wife, and, and children, it is all about intimate connection. That's what you're going to see in this text. So we'll start here in 26, uh, chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. All right, so first thing to notice is, is it starts with God. It starts with who God is. God is the one making, uh, making Adam and Eve. And notice how God speaks in a plural voice, first person plural. Uh, then God said, let us make man in our image, our likeness. All right, this is, you know, there's no way to make sense of this unless you go to the New Testament and you understand the Trinitarian nature of God as the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Well, it does, it does, you know, said, it says, so God created man. So then it goes back to that singular voice. So there you can see the fabric of the Trinity. God speaking in that plural voice, but it being one God. Let us make man, God, singular, made man. And, um, and so, uh, so with that being said, what that tells us is the, that God is speaking in that Trinitarian voice when he makes mankind. The, the core of the Trinity is that God is three separate persons who are one God. And that speaks to unity. That speaks to perfect intimacy and communion. And it tells us that God is inherently relational. 
He's always been relational. He's infinite. There's never a time where God wasn't the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's no way that God can be loving if he is not a multi-person but one God. The reason for that, so that's St. That's Augustine. The reason for that is if uh, God was just one person, then there was a time where there was no one else to love. And so, and so you know, the, he wouldn't have stopped, started loving until he created other persons to love. But God is three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who are one God. Um, they are one, and they are in perfect, intimate union. So that's why the, the invoking of the Trinitarian voice in the creation of man tells us that at our core, what we are made for, what the center of our life is, is intimate relationship. First and primarily with God. Notice it's, you know, he first makes man. So the first relationship for mankind is a vertical relationship, relationship with God. So like the most important and central thing in our life is cultivating intimate relationship with God. Okay, so then, so that's the beginning. God who is relational makes man to live in relationship with him, to live in intimate communion with him. All right, so then God makes Eve as well. And so that's the introduction of the, uh, the horizontal relationship. So we have the vertical with God, horizontal with, uh, with mankind. And so, um, so, so, you know, notice the flow here. You have, have a really fancy schematic here down at the bottom, graphic organizer. Yeah, I, I, I thought about going into graphic design, but, you know, a lot of opportunities there for me. Um, okay, and so you can, see, you can see these relational units and these relational categories being formed. First is the relationship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Second is the relationship between God and man, vertical. And then... Uh, God makes Adam, and then God makes Eve, and so the next relational unit is um, the next relational unit is that of marriage, and so we're going to see in a little bit about how you know the nature of that relationship, how it how it points towards intimacy. Um, but after he made, it says, you know, so God created man in his own image, in his image he created him, male and female he created them. So there you can see the next unit, uh, that being marriage. All right, so then after that, immediately after the establishment of man, the establishment of marriage, the next thing God says is, uh, here in verse 27, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply speaks to having families, have kids. Um, Be fruitful and multiply. And so um, this is what you call the... Creational mandate. Creational mandate after man is made is God kind of giving basic direction on like what is the core purpose of our life. First thing he says is to be fruitful and multiply. So have kids. Now one thing to think about is, especially as we think about the New Testament, we think about evangelism and discipleship, is that on one level being fruitful and multiplying involves our, you know, actually having children, getting married, having kids. Okay? Um, But then there's also what you would call like spiritually multiplying. So when you become a believer, you're married to Jesus. And then out of the relationship with Jesus through evangelism and discipleship, you're being fruitful and multiplying. In a sense, it's like having spiritual children through evangelism and discipleship. Um, so that's being fruitful and multiplying. And he says, um, you know, so that was number one, be fruitful and multiply in the creational mandate. Second, fill the earth and subdue it, uh, which has to do with 
uh, being a steward of God's creation, being a steward of the gifts God's giving you. It, work, basically. Work is part of the creational mandate. That's part of, uh, of cultivating the latent potential in creation. Um, so that's the second part of it. Be fruitful, multiply, work, be a steward. And then finally, I didn't include in here, it spills into to chapter two, but it's Sabbath. Like, that's the third part of the creational mandate is Sabbath worship. And so, um, and so with that being said, that's, not, that's a pretty helpful little framework to think about categories for raising your kids. I'm the kind of person, I need like conceptual framework for everything, or it just doesn't work. But if you kind of boil it down into, um, you know, like relationship, uh, you know, preparing kids to be good, good stewards, uh, to be good subduers of creation, and then finally to be worshipers of God. So that, those are, you know, that's, that's a way to think about it. Um, but anyhow, so let's go to verse, uh, sorry, go to chapter 2, verses 5 and 7, 18 to 24. So it says, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain in the land. And there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land, and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breath into and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature okay so now you know chapter one is kind of focused on the more macro elements of god's creation like you know the big picture uh structure of creation that's the focus there the name of god that is used in chapter one is elohim which speaks to more the bigness the greatness the transcendence of god all right, chapter two, it's still talking about big picture creation, but it is more focused on the creation of mankind. There's more detail and attention given to that. When people, try not to be a snot, Cameron, but when people who are trying to pick holes in Christianity and like creation and the Bible and science are like, well, there's a big conflict between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. You know, you can see there's conflicting accounts. It's like, no dodo bird. It's okay, I couldn't help myself. I couldn't help myself. Just had to go there. It's like, there's not a conflict. There's just a focus on the macro creation and a focus on the creation of man. That's okay, right? Okay. So anyhow, the name that is used in chapter two is Yahweh, which is the more personal, intimate name of God, which makes sense because you can see how this is not the big, great creation of the world. But this is the intimate creation of mankind. And look at the nature of this. It says, God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Think about this. The Lord God, the maker of heaven and earth, the way, the, 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 the method by which he creates mankind and gives mankind life is that he literally puts his mouth, the mouth of God, and breathes it into the nostrils of mankind like he's doing CPR. That is super, super intimate. It's like being given life through the kiss of God. And so that is, that, that again is very informative in terms of the nature of relationship with God. That again, this is, he's making Adam, so there's this intimacy, but the kind of relationship that God intends between mankind and, and the Lord, and that is an intimate relationship, a mouth-to-mouth kind of relationship. Um, and so man becomes a living creature. And so then next, so again, that's affirmation of that vertical relationship. So now we're going back to the horizontal relationship. 
Um, and it's, he's talking about the creation of um, Eve and marriage. And so it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. I'm going to come back to that in a second because this is good. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all livestock and birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon man. And while he slept, he took one of the ribs and closed up its place with flesh and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to man. And the man said, this is at last bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. All right, so this word helper is, is used twice. The Hebrew word is azar. Here's something really interesting. Like, when you just read that in English and you see helper, you're like, oh, you know, like you're my little servant, you know, like, and unfortunately that is, that is too often how uh, a lot of Christians have interpreted that as a means of dehumanizing and marginalizing women. <laughs> and that is not at all the way that this, the connotation of the, uh, of the term helper. This word azar is used three other times in the Bible. And it is referring to God as my helper. God is my helper. So the word helper that's used here to describe Eve is actually used to describe God. And the context in which that helper is used is to demonstrate that God can do something for me that I cannot do for myself. And so what is envisioned here in the creation of Eve and of, of like a woman and a wife um, is that um, uh, careful with your words, careful yeah. with your words. <laughs> uh, okay. Something about making that into a musical just, you know, makes it a little lighter. No. Um, is that, you know, like a man and a woman are meant to complement each other. And there, is, there are things that women possess intrinsic to their creation that men don't have. And that men need. And I know that could be controversial. I'm not saying that we're just so, so tyrannically different, because at the core we're the same, but we are, we are different in ways. And, um, and that is by design. And if, you know, let's just be honest. If you know a man, like, if you know me, there was never a human being ever created who needed both a mom and a wife more than Cameron Cole. <laughs> it's just true. And it's just true. But, you, but we can just see, you can see in marriage, you can see in families that uh, moms, wives, women bring something to men that we just don't have and that we really need. So with that being said, uh, if, if I have offended anybody, please come talk to me afterwards. I will field all questions. Anytime, anytime you talk about gender, I'm, I'm literally sweating right now. <laughs> So anyhow, so anyhow, but but I, I hope hopefully that's a hopefully that's an affirmation, you know, to both men and women, to the equality and the dignity of both, and God's design in both that we're meant to bless one another in a complementary way. But again, so it says, you know, it's not good for the man to be alone. Now that is not just like limited to marriage. 
Because a lot of times people read that, it's not good for a man to be alone, and that, that suggests that like a, a, a man or a woman who's not married is somehow incomplete. This, it's not good for a man to be alone, is not exclusive to marriage. I mean, it certainly does have a, you know, it does have a pertinence to marriage, but in terms of the overall horizontal relationship, it is we are meant to live in community. We are meant to live in groups. We're meant to live in friendships. Um, and so with that being said, uh, yeah, with that being said, this not, it not being good for us to be alone, like the satisfaction of that need for relationship is not just satisfied like in marriage, certainly not just satisfied in marriage. It's satisfied in friendships with other guys and friendships with women and, you know, small groups and families and teams and healthy work environments and things like that. So, so yeah, we're made for relationship. Okay, so moving on, we can see down here at the, um, at the, in verse 24, it says, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So you can see something very similar to the Trinity in the creation of marriage in that you have in the Trinity, three persons, one God. And you can see in marriage, you have two people, and, but they are one unit. They, there is oneness um, that comes through marriage. And so, so that, again, speaks to intimate relationship with air. And then this is going to carry down to our relationship with our kids. The, the way that the, the, going, through the, the, going through the fancy schematic, um, the unity and the intimacy of the Trinity that then goes to the vertical relationship, that goes to marriage, and then that, when we're, we're, we're fruitful and multiply, that goes down to kids. And so you can see that being the core. All right, moving on to Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. And just, just kind of to put a, a, a period at the end of that paragraph, you can see that, that just how intimate the language is in Genesis 1 and 2 from the very beginning. And so, you know, in Genesis 3, there's going to be sin, and the core of sin is broken relationships. Sin breaks our relationship with God, and then that spills over into breaking relationships with other people, with ourselves, and with the created world. And the work of Jesus is to, to die for our sins, to remediate our sin, and to bring us back into intimate relationship with God, which is what was intended from the very beginning. And so, with that being said, it's helpful for us. So much of our lives, we, we can get focused on you know, work and finances and um, getting things done in a clean house. And what we need to remember is that intimate relationship is the fabric of our being. Like, that's the fabric of what we're called to. All right, Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do justice to this, but it's good for us to read, and we'll kind of uh, make an affirmation of this point. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son, and your son's son, by keeping all of his statutes and commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may go be long. Context of Deuteronomy is, you know, um, Exodus, they have been delivered from slavery in Egypt. Uh, Leviticus, it's like worship law uh, for, you know, for worshiping the Lord properly. Numbers is wandering around in the desert. Deuteronomy is the last book before they go into the promised land. Joshua will lead them across the Jordan into the promised land. Deuteronomy is like Moses dies at the end of Deuteronomy. And, it's like, and none of the people who saw, um, none of the people who saw this, the parting of the Red Sea and the exodus out of Egypt 
are going to go into the promised land except for Joshua and Jacob. And so with that being said, Deuteronomy is like, Moses is thinking, we got to get these people ready. I'm not going to be going with them. Um, it's kind of like he's packing their suitcase. You know, it's probably like if you're, if you have a senior who's getting ready to go to college, uh, you are like, we got to pack that suitcase. You know, we got to get them ready to go to college because I'm not going to college with them. And this is my last chance. And I got to make sure that everything they need to know, they know. That's kind of what's going on here at Deuteronomy. And so he says, first, you know, I, I, these are, this is God's law. You need to teach it, teach it to your sons, your sons' sons, that all, all the days of your life, that all your days may be long. And so, so here's what he says. He says the Shema, Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Notice that language of multiply. You know, that, whether that's multiplying by faith or multiplying um, through having kids, he's saying, you know, teach your kids the law. Now, here's the thing. I know for myself, and I think this is true for most people, is when we hear about the teaching of the law, we tend to think, okay, just teach these kids rules so that they're moral people, so that they're good people, right? And we just tend to think at it purely at an ethical, moral level, almost an abstraction, you know? I want them to be a good person. Well, what we tend to not think of is that the law points to healthy, intimate relationship with God and with other people. That's the purpose of the law. And you're going to see that in the next verse. It says, um, here is where the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your might. So basically, the law, every single one of the laws, there are over 600 that are delivered in the Old Testament, they all point towards a loving, healthy, intimate relationship with God and with other people. That's, really, that's a really important thing because when we teach kids you know, it's, it's a huge part of being a parent. We'll look at that, especially um, in Proverbs, but you can see it here. He's saying, teach your kids the law. And he's going to hammer this in a second. But a lot of times the way that we teach kids right and wrong, we do that in abstraction. And what I mean by that is we don't give them a practical reason why of, hey, look, like, don't, hey, don't steal because you don't steal. Why don't you steal? Because you don't steal, right? That's not, that's not very helpful. It's not very sustainable. It's not very satisfactory to a kid. But it's a good thing to affirm like, hey, don't steal because like we want you to have a good, loving friendships and relationships with people. And if you steal from people, they're not going to trust you. And that's going to, that's going to, you know, impede having those good relationships. Don't, don't lie because if you lie, people aren't going to trust you. You're not going to have intimate connection with them. And so we always want to point the rules to loving, intimate, healthy relationship, um, both with God and with other people. Okay, so then he says, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So he, you know, he's given them the law, and he says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them on the sign of your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And so what you see here is, this is just talking about discipling your kids. And, it, you know, and, and sometimes there are moments where we like circle the wagons and you sit down and we're like, hey kids, we need to have like a life lesson tonight. 
right? But really what you see is that the context by which we disciple our kids and by we like teach them about the gospel, teach them about God, teach them about right and wrong, it happens in organic day-to-day relationship. It happens in live combat. And, um, and you can see that by the, um, it says when you sit in your house or when you walk by the way or when you lie down or when you rise, like the teachable moments just kind of organically pop up, but they happen in the context of a relationship with your child, like being with your child when they rise up, being with your child when you walk by the way, being with your child when you drive, you know, drive them to carpool, drive them to sports practice, or you know, wash the dishes with them, or pick weeds with them, or what you know, whatever, um, whatever, uh, <laughs> whatever it is, you know, the time is that you spend with your child, and so, um, yeah, and so it's like, in one sense, the uh, one sense, like we're trying to like teach our kids and point our kids towards intimate relationship with God and with other people. It's kind of at the core of what we're trying to uh, form them into, people who, are, who, who can do that. And that also happens in the context of an intimate relationship with your child. They kind of, the two kind of complement and feed off of one another. So um, with that being said, a few takeaways. And we can ask questions. I might have time. Way to go. Um, first is, I, I've said this a thousand times, Family and parenting uh, focuses on cultivating intimate relationship, both in marriage and relationship with kids. <laughs> family and I'm laughing because f- family and parenting focus on. Oh yeah, I guess that's not grammatically incorrect. I, I for for some reason, if you know me, you would have no idea why I was tossing and turning it up at 4:30 this morning and decided I would just <laughs> do the takeaways part at 4:30 this morning. Take a guess. Um, but um, uh, but anyhow, so yeah, so like the thrust is intimate relationship. Like if, if nothing else, if we don't do anything else, that's what we're trying to cultivate in marriage and in, in our family and our relationship with our kids. Second, discipling kids starts, kids first starts with pointing kids towards intimate relationship with God and it happens in the context of organic relationship with kids. Um, we've really covered that quite a bit. All right, so then finally, or third, when we talk about intimate relationship involves both quantity of time and quality of time. All right, so this is, I think this is a a practical, helpful thing here. And that is like, when you think about, okay, the game game plan is intimate relationship, we're trying to to cultivate intimate relationship within our family, right? Closeness. And we, you know, a helpful way to think about it is in terms of quantity of time and quality of time. It is, in terms of the quantity of time, that is a huge challenge at this day of age because there is such a, there's such a, uh, a pressure and such a natural current to like over-program kids and, um, and to say yes to everything and to be so busy and to just make so many commitments that, you know, I, I talk to a lot of our high school fam- families and they're like, oh dude, like we never eat dinner together because our kids have soccer or they have this, they have that. It's like, impossible for us to ever have a meal together. You hear that a lot. I had a, uh, for a, a neighbor who coached one of, the, um, one of the elite soccer teams in town for one of the big clubs. And he said, you know, I, uh, and he was resigning from the, the travel team because he had spent like Thanksgiving and Christmas on the road at soccer showcase tournaments. And uh, he said, yeah, I'm resigning. And he said, I'm resigning because I look back, he'd gotten married, his wife's pregnant, 
because I look back, he was a, an elite soccer player. He played in college. He actually played in Europe at like one of the low levels in Greece. And he's like, yeah, I, I, my family, my junior and senior year of high school, my sister was a competitive dancer. I was a competitive soccer player. We averaged all four of us being in town on the same weekend four times a year. That all like his mom, dad, sister, brother, they were all together four times a year on a weekend. And so with that being said, that's where on the, the, the um, quantity of time, that really matters. And, um, and so that requires some real boundaries and some real like prayerful wisdom about what you commit to. And it requires like being, doing your due diligence on like how much time certain things that your child might be involved with, how much time it's going to take, and when it's going to happen. Um, and, you know, like, it just, it seems like for a lot of these things, people very much undersell the commitment of being on this team or that team or, you know, oh, hey, it's just, it's just me for two months, you know, and no, no, no big deal. And it's like, oh, yeah, and by the way, now that you're signed up, we, we actually practice five nights a week from like 5.30 to 9.30. And, um, <laughs> and yeah, and bring your child's uh, diaper bag because they're, they're three, but they're on the travel soccer team. No. Um, but anyhow, so there is, like, there, there does take a real thoughtful wisdom and honestly kind of a countercultural living to protect the quantity of time. Well, quantity of time is important, but quality of time is really important too. And I, I'm, I'm the worst about this, but like, I, you know, being around your family, but you're not actually there, you know, kind of being a ghost in the house because your mind's thinking about other things or I'm so bad about, you know, like, oh, you know, let's see what, I got a text message or see what's going on or so on and so forth. What's the weather going to be like next week? Anyhow, uh, you know, the, the thing, you know, technology can, for me, I'll say personally, is a, a massive, um, is, is very detrimental to the quality of time that like when I am actually with my kids. So, so the quantity and the quality. Um, so that's the third thing. Fourth thing, uh, pray for intimate connection with your kids. Here's the thing, and we all know this, is like sometimes you're really jiving with your child and sometimes you're just not, you know? And it's like not one of those things that you can just fabricate. Yes, you can, you can, you know, try to um, pursue or protect quantity of time. Yes, you can, you know, do certain things to like have quality of time, but ultimately we are dependent upon the, the blessing of the Holy Spirit to actually connect with our kids, you know? And um, yeah, I mean, I, I was funny yesterday with one of my kids, we just like really connected and it was, you know, it was really random. We were just like throwing the football and then we had a great ride back from a friend's house and then, um, and then like, you know, at nighttime, uh, we chitty chatted and, and prayed and like, sing me some songs, dad, and all that kind of stuff. So that was just a blessing of the Holy Spirit. I, I couldn't, I, I can't manufacture that. And so that's just something to, something to pray for is to pray, to pray one, that the Lord would bless you with connection in those times. Pray that the Lord would help you to understand how your child um, is best related to. You know, you have some kids who, um, you know, I have, you know, I, some, one of my children, like, you just sit down with her and, you know, and put a dime in the jukebox and, and she wants to talk, you know? <laughs> and then another one of my children, like, it's like, you got to be in motion. If you're playing, if you're doing a yard project, if you're walking, like, that's how we bond. And so that, you know, the Lord, the Lord knows our children better than we do. And so 
Um, we want to ask the Lord to help us understand how we best relate to our kids. And then finally, um, last thing I would say is just indulge yourself. Give yourself permission to enjoy your children. Um, there's a, a, a Christian author who said, um, the, the best way to parent and the best way to love your children is to enjoy your children. I think that's really insightful and really true. And so, yeah, I mean, we feel so much pressure to like, oh, uh, you know, make sure our kids have all the, have different opportunities. And there's just so many pressures we feel. And like the thing that you really want as a parent is you want to connect with your child. You know, that's really like when you think about the grief of the griefs of parenting, whether that's like sending off your child to camp, sending your, you, you know, the fear of sending your kid to college or even like deeper things like having a miscarriage or losing a child, being divorced and having, you know, having to split weekends or split weeks. Like the pain, the deepest pain of parenting is when you're separated from your child. And that really speaks to the fabric of what, what your relationship with your child is made for. And that is for intimate connection. Um, and so, man, just indulge the heck out of yourself on that. And that is living into what God made you to do as a parent. Isn't that good news? Swing for the fences, right? Every time. Okay, I'm going to pray. And then uh, um, I can feel I, I've just uh, went long. Dang it. <laughs> Tried so hard. Anyhow, um, I'll pray for us. I'm happy to hang out and shitty chat. All right, God, thanks for, um, thank you that you, thanks for blessing us with children. Thank you for um, giving us this direction. And I pray that you would just give us grace to enjoy our kids. And also to God, I pray that you would just bless us with connection with them. Uh, Yeah, we can't manufacture that. That's That's a blessing and a grace that comes from you. And we ask that you would be so generous to us in that way. And so um, bless us in this week. May we abide in you, bear much fruit, have the hope, peace, and joy of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Ask these prayers in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.